listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Well, as Ryan said, I'm Kenna, and I'm actually also a small group leader here. Shout out to my girls in the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I am honestly just honored to be here when Ryan asked me about just sharing a little bit of what God has taught me. Um, I was so excited. So I hope that that is what tonight is. But before I get into that too much, there is something you should know about me, and that is that I am incredibly indecisive. Anybody else in the room? Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm assuming there's more of you, and you just couldn't decide if you want to put your hand up or not. That's what I'm going to go with. So my parents tell me I've been this way literally my whole life. So on, when I was younger, on Friday nights, we would have movie nights, and we would all go to the store and get to pick out what candy we wanted. And my whole family would go in, knowing kind of what they wanted, take a second, grab their candy, and apparently they all waited on me to figure out what I wanted. And I, you guys get this. I mean, I was like, what am I going to want later when we actually watch the movie? What's going to last the longest? What will I regret not having? And I was just trying to figure this out. My mom tried to help me. She was like, Kenna, do you want sweet or sour? And I was like, oh, I don't know. She was like, do you want nuts or chocolate? And I was like, oh, to the point where they threatened me that if I didn't pick in the next 30 seconds, then I wasn't going to get anything at all. That's how bad it was. And then I would do the exact same thing the next Friday night. So I call that a family tradition. They called it annoying. So take what you want on that one. But I know that not all of you are like this. Some of you are really decisive. Anybody claim that? I wish I was more like you. I wish that making decisions came easy for me, but it doesn't. But whether you are decisive or you're indecisive, what we all have in common is that we make decisions. We make little decisions every day that are pretty easy, like what to wear. Well, maybe that one's not easy, not for me, but what to wear or what to eat. Um, we make decisions about whether we're going to study for an exam or just take the L. You guys get that? I know a lot of you do that. Um, but we also have seasons where we make some really big decisions. And some of you are probably in that right now. Some of you are freshmen and you're trying to figure out, hmm, what is my major going to be? Do I change it after a year when I have three years left? What should I do? I don't know. Some of you are sophomores and you're like, hmm, do I date that boy or that girl? Is it going to last forever? Is it going to be good? Do I say yes when they ask me out? I don't know. That's a hard one. Some of you are juniors and you're trying to figure out what to do with your last summer before graduation? Do you just live it up since you got one more summer to go? Do you work a job so that you can make money? Do you work at a camp since it's your last chance? You guys are trying to figure this out. Some of you are seniors and you know, you're just trying to figure out what to do with the rest of your life. No big deal, you know? I'm sure that's a lot of your least favorite questions right now. That's what it was for me. Some of you aren't in college and you're just trying to figure out what's next. Who do you hang out with? What do you do? And I get that. For me, I felt a lot of this in college. My freshman year, I debated changing majors, which then led to me debating if I should change schools or not, and it was just a whole process. I debated at another point if I should go overseas for a summer or if I should work at a summer camp. And then my senior year led me to probably one of the biggest decisions that I had to make in college, and maybe my biggest decision yet, um, and that was what to do after graduating. As Ryan said, I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. I went to a little school called North Greenville University. I loved it. It was great. Um, and when I was graduating, I had two options. So one was to stay in Greenville and to pursue a master's in social work and kind of work in the area, be with the people that I knew, be in a place that I knew. 
And my other option was to pick up and move to Georgia, a place that I'd never lived before, um, and pursue a master's um, from seminary and get to work with Bronzebridge Church, get some hands-on experience. And I was just trying to figure out what was best. And I should probably add that my boyfriend at the time lived in Greenville, so that was like a little extra factor because I knew that my decision affected him, but I also wanted to do what was best for me. And I just honestly didn't know quite what to do. It was a mess. And through lots of tears, lots of conversations, lots of just sitting in uncertainty, I made a decision. And hopefully you can figure out how that worked out for me. But I made a decision, but it was a long process. It was a hard process. And I feel like I could have handled things a lot better. And I can confidently say that you, like me, want to make the best decisions. No one sets out to make a bad decision. No one's like, hmm, what is the worst thing that I could do for myself today? That's not it. That's not the goal. And for those of us in the room who follow God, not only do we want to make a great decision, but we want to make a decision that honors God. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to follow God's will for our lives. But sometimes we get so caught up in trying to make the right decision and trying to find God's will for our lives that it just leads to anxiousness or fear. It paralyzes us in uncertainty, so we just push off making any decision at all. Or some of us just stop caring and we're like, flip a coin, somebody decides something, I don't even care anymore. So what do we do? Should we be concerned that there's only one right decision? Should we be concerned that with one wrong decision, we're just going to step out of God's will for our lives? Should we be anxious? Should we be fearful? Should we worry that if we haven't made the best decisions in the past, that we're not going to make the best decisions moving forward? Well, that is what I want to get really practical on tonight, is decisions. How do we make wise decisions? The easiest way for us to make decisions is based off of what we want and how we feel. We might make a decision that's based off of pride or a decision that just is based off of wanting the approval of others. It could be anger or revenge that leads us to make a quick decision. It could be just wanting the path of least resistance, and I get that. I've been there. But the issue with making decisions based off of a moment, based off of emotions, is that there is so much uncertainty in this. Our emotions change, and even the most logical people I know make emotional decisions in a moment. And like I said, we don't set out to make bad decisions, but our emotional responses can get us there really quickly. So if you're like me, you're like, great. Don't want to make decisions that way. Do want to make good decisions. Also want to make decisions that honor God. So how do I do that? What do I do? And I feel like this a lot. I'm like, God, you just give me the billboard. You put it in flashing lights. I'll do it. I'm down. And this hasn't happened for me yet, but I'm holding out hope. I'll let you know if it works out. But what we need to do is just take a step back and, and ask, what is the process for making wise decisions? And I do feel like God has given us direction on this. In my time in grad school and in my time Outside of college, I feel like I've learned a few things about making decisions that I wish I knew earlier. So I just want to share some practical steps with you guys that have been really helpful for me. This is by no means a foolproof plan of decision making, but I just hope that it's a start. I think there are some decisions that are really clear. There are some things that are obvious, right or wrong. You guys know this. Like, should I murder someone? No. Should I rob a bank? 
No, you guys know this. No matter what you believe about God or about scripture, our conscience really helps us with that one. But for me, I believe that the ultimate source of right or wrong comes from the Bible. That's because it's the ultimate source of truth. So this is the first step that I believe um, we take towards making wise decisions, and that is follow scripture. We need to evaluate, based on the Bible, what is clearly right or wrong. Because the Bible is the word of God, it takes precedent over our emotions, it takes precedent over our opinions, over our bias, over our preferences. And like I said, we have to take a step back and do this. It is easier said than done, especially in the height of our emotions, especially when our friend group, when our culture, when the media is telling us something different. But when the Bible clearly speaks on an issue, I think that we need to listen. So that's step number one. But what about when the Bible doesn't clearly speak on an issue? When it doesn't tell you who to date or what to major in or what to do over the summer? I think when the Bible doesn't clearly speak on an issue, that the second step in making wise decisions is to trust God. We need to trust that God will accomplish his plan no matter what we do. We are not big enough to mess up God's plan with one decision that we make. His plan will prevail. Even if we can't see exactly how it's going to work out in the end, which sometimes that's what messes me up. I'm like, let me figure out how this is going to go, how it's going to end, and then I'll make my decision. But oftentimes, this is not how it works out. So it is in that gap that we need to trust God. And if we are genuinely seeking God in our decisions, then he's going to get us where he wants us to go. And if our goal is to glorify God, then we're going to do that in whatever we do. The author of Proverbs, which is a book in the Bible that is known for wise saying, says this beautifully. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. This is so good. He doesn't say you figure it out. He doesn't say based off of the logic that you have come up with, based off of your own understanding. He says, trust him. Seek God. Submit to him. Another version says to acknowledge God, and he will make our path straight. He will direct our path. Not you acknowledge God, and then you go figure it out. It's, hey, submit to God, and he will make your path straight. And when we step back, and we realize that no matter what, God is going to be faithful, then we don't have to be anxious, and we don't have to be fearful. I also think that prayer has a lot to do with this. I think that prayer should be a part of every part of this decision-making process because through prayer, we can gain a lot of clarity on what we're supposed to do. And I also think, which we don't oftentimes think about, that prayer can help us determine where our own emotions are clouding our judgment as we're making decisions. And another way to help us make decisions, and also, as I was saying, to kind of help us determine where our own emotions are kind of getting in the way, is to, number three, seek counsel, specifically wise counsel. Allowing people that you trust, that you think are wise, that are walking in a way that you would want to walk in, to speak into your situation is huge. People who know you can point out where your emotions might be getting the best of you or where you might have wrong intention. And people who you consider are wise can oftentimes teach you something based off of what they've learned and what they've heard and what they've done. And for you, this could be a small group leader, it could be a parent, it could be a mentor, it could be a great friend. 
but allow people to speak into your situation. Don't let pride keep you from bringing people into the process. I'm going to say that one again. Don't let pride keep you from bringing people into the process. So, once we're at this point, and we've looked to Scripture to see what's clearly right or wrong, and we've sought wise counsel, we've prayed about it, I think the last thing that we do in this decision-making process is to choose joyfully. Sometimes we just get to choose. And sometimes we have to choose because there's a deadline, and that's okay. But please don't mishear me. This does not mean that we just do whatever we want all the time. This doesn't mean that God's not in control. This doesn't mean that there's not consequences to what we're doing. But as we trust God and as we seek him into the decision-making process, if there's not a clear right or wrong, if it's not evident that he wants you to wait, sometimes we just get to choose. But I think the key word in this is joyfully. God has created us all differently. You know this, even Julianne was talking about this last week. He's created us with different abilities, with different passions, with different desires. And I think that this can be a part of the decision-making process. I think we can lean into that when we don't necessarily have clarity on what to do. And it may be that up until this point where you're about to make a decision that you still aren't positive, and that's okay. Choose joyfully confidently move forward and don't look back and trust God. Trust his character, trust his plan, trust his word. And that's really where I want to land tonight. Even though we're uncertain in our decisions, there is certainty in the character and the word of God. We are uncertain, but he is certain. And for me, there is so much freedom in this. Using scripture as a guidebook frees us from having to determine what's right and wrong. It's, it is literally written down for us. And trusting God frees us to be able to choose without the pressure that we're going to mess up God's plan. It takes away anxiousness. It takes away fear. And choosing joyfully allows us to lean into the way that God has specifically made us and run towards what brings us pure joy. And I know that there are some situations where there is literally no time to do this, and I get that for sure. But even if you do these first three in a different order or all at the same time, and then you choose, that's okay too. But I do think that these principles are monumental and setting us up for success in decision-making. And I also think that the more that you do these things, the more that you're in God's word, the more that you're around wise people, the more that you're praying and evaluating your own desires, the more that you will be able to make a wise decision within a split second. And so, like I said, this is not a foolproof plan, but this is what has been really helpful for me. So I hope it is for you guys too, because we're going to continue to be uncertain. We are right now, I'm sure about some things, and we will continue to be that way. But there is so much freedom and so much peace in the fact that God is certain. So I'm going to leave us with this. It's a quote by Oswald Chambers, and he said, trust God and do the next thing. Trust God and do the next thing. Hey, uh, my name's Nathan. I'm super excited to be here. This is a cool thing for me because when I was in college, a really, 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 really long time ago, I went to the living room uh, in Atlanta, and it was at the Biltmore Ballroom. Uh, so it was really cool. It was a, go it was a great part of my week uh, going to the living room, so it's really cool to be involved in this capacity and to be able to hang out with you guys uh, up here at Brownsburg. Just super, super special. I don't have a ton of time, so I'm going to jump in really fast. Is that cool? 
Thank you. Um, so when I was in college, uh, let's just get in the meat of it. When I was in college, I had an issue where this was one of my biggest thoughts that consumed me. What do I want to do with my life? Anybody been there? <laughs> yeah, it was like middle school. It was like high school for me. It just continued on through college. Uh, and if that was the thought that consumed my life, this was the thought that haunted my life. What does God want me to do with my life? And another way that that's been said, and Kenna even just referred to it earlier, didn't plan that, but um, talking about what, does, what is God's will for my life? And I remember when I was younger, it was such a thing where I was like, man, I've got to be in the center of God's will. Have you all ever heard that phrase? Um, I have to be in the center of God's will. And I was afraid that if I wasn't, then I wouldn't be doing what I was supposed to be. I'd be in the wrong place, the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. And it was something that really made me think a lot. And so tonight I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that fear um, of not being in the right place at the right time in life and share with you what I wish I knew when I was in college um, a couple of years ago, about seven years ago, I heard a talk from Christine Kane, and she talked a little bit about the story that I'm going to tell you tonight, and it has changed the way I see things. I referred to it, uh, even with some of y'all, as I've talked to you, so this has been something that I wish I knew when I was in your shoes. But uh, we're going to go old school tonight. We're going to throw back to the Old Testament, okay? And in the Old Testament, there's a prophet. His name is Elijah. Elijah, okay? And Elijah is, is a pretty cool prophet. We'll talk about him. He is the uh, predecessor, okay? He's the one that came first. And then his successor, the one who came after him, was Elisha. So you see why I'm doing this now? Uh, because you have Elijah and Elisha in the same story, and it gets kind of confusing, and without a doubt, I'm going to say Elijah when I mean Elisha, and Elisha when I mean Elijah, and I'm probably going to say it like that every time I do, so I want to apologize in advance, but we're going to jump in. First Kings 19, and this is where our story begins. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, Snapchat, uh, he was plowing, <laughs> he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he found himself, uh, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So uh, this is the cool thing. Elijah is at this point kind of a prophet. He's been doing this for a while, and he's looking for who's going to take over his mantle, who's going to be the next prophet. And so he goes looking, and he finds Elisha. And when he finds him, this is interesting to me. He, when he finds him, he finds him plowing in a field. He doesn't find him having a quiet time. He doesn't find him at Starbucks chatting about his relationship with God with his besties. Um, he finds him here working. And I think that's an interesting thing because I think God tends to work with those who are already working. And the easy thing for us, the cool thing, the normal thing would be, in this case, for uh, you know, if he's going to be a prophet, yeah, he should probably be having a quiet time. He should probably be in community and be sharing what God's doing in his heart and life. And that's totally fine and that's great. Um, but I think there's something to be said about the fact that he's not sitting there waiting for what God is going to do. He's not waiting for, hey, when I have my ministry, this is what I'm going to do. When, when God calls me to this, when I know God's will for my life, I'm going to do this. And Sid, he's just working with the job that's in front of him which is plowing a field with oxen. And it's stinky and it's nasty. And, you know, you, a plow goes behind an ox. You know what I mean? Poop? No, okay. Uh, that's, that's very much involved there. Lots of uh, ox, ox butts. Um, but 
<laughs> See what I did there? Didn't mean to. Uh, but he sees that that's the job that's in front of him, and so that's what he's doing. So back to our story. Uh, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. So this is his way of saying, hey, I want you to come and follow me, kind of be my disciple, follower, that kind of thing, okay? Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Elijah says, go back, he replied. What have I done to you? AKA, do what you got to do. Moving on. So then Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah, and he became his servant. So he decides he's going to follow him, he, and, and quickly he decides that this is plan A, and there is no plan B, there is no plan C. He commits really fast. He kills the cows, and he burns them. He burned the plows, and he barbecued the cows, and he had nothing left to go back to. So he jumped in really quick. And I think there's a point in that that, that if you can't stay. If God is calling you to do something, if he's telling you to do something, you can't stay where you are and keep your hand on the plow. Um, sometimes it means you got to burn some bridges. Sometimes it means that, call, uh, that following God is costly. A lot of the time, following God is costly and obeying him. So let's recap. Elisha, uh, he's found plowing, but plowing probably isn't his main gift, right? We can probably say that. Um, and then he is promoted to, from plower to servant. It's a big promotion, isn't it? Maybe. Um, but what's interesting is when Elisha says, hey, yes, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your servant. He doesn't know what the future looks like. He doesn't know that thousands of years from now, we're going to be talking about him. He doesn't know that he's going to be the next big prophet. In fact, uh, he doesn't know that he's going to have the most miracles recorded in Scripture. Did you know that? Elisha is the one who has the most miracles recorded in Scripture that he did. Next to Jesus. Jesus, Elisha. Isn't that cool? He didn't know that, though. He just knew this guy came along when he was plowing. He was asked to follow him. He went all in, and he became his servant. And I think that's because that was the job, that was the role that was right in front of him at the time. He didn't know all that was coming. What was in front of him was servant. So here's the point. Uh, I think we all want our lives to count. I think we want to make an impact. Uh, we want, but in order to do that, I think we've got to be found faithful in the small things uh, and the things that are in front of us right now. Sometimes that's the unseen things. Uh, I think all of us would say, hey, I want to write a, a beautiful story. I want to be able to look back and tell my story, and it's a beautiful thing. But a lot of times, we're not willing to work hard for that story to be beautiful. We're not really willing to do the work that's required to tell that story and live it out. Now, I want to be really clear, um, especially saying the word work. Uh, we're not talking about any kind of religious work or brownie points that you get when you get to heaven. Um, this is like, that's a, that's a given. That's our foundation, okay? Uh, in order to, like Christ has done all the work, it's a free gift, 
you don't have to work, right? And then on top of that, this is like, he's already accepted you. You don't have to work to be accepted. We tell you all that all the time if you've been in the living room before. But this is kind of the, okay, what now? After salvation, so to speak. Does that make sense? So um, this is the, okay, I have become a believer or, or, or I have accepted that free gift, what now? Um, and this is more about our assignment than about our salvation. Um, so what I'm saying is that at some point, we have to start working. We have to be willing to do the hard work and not just making excuses of, hey, that's not what I'm passionate about, so I'm gonna stay away from doing that. I'm gonna wait till I find something that I'm passionate about when there's something that's right in front of you that needs to be done. Uh, hey, that's not my wiring. My Enneagram type is the opposite of that, so I'm gonna stay over on this lane. Guilty. Um, when there's work right in front of us that needs to be done. So uh, what I'd like to suggest to you is to plow right where you are now. Right where you are now. You've been given a unique time. It's easy to look ahead and say, what is God's will for my life? What am I gonna do when I get there, when I get done with college? Gosh, guys, I remember that. But my encouragement to you is you're, you have an opportunity to get to work right now. So why not roll up your sleeves and get involved? For some of you, that means like getting involved in church and serving in that capacity. It doesn't have to be this church. You might never come to this church besides the living room. This might be your first time. That's totally fine. But get involved in church because church is where, where God is usually up to at, at work is somewhere around the church. <laughs> that's kind of the way he set it up. Um, but maybe that's not it. Maybe it's at a campus ministry. Maybe there's, you know, there's all kinds of ways for you to get involved. And this isn't just related to, to God's work specifically. But a couple of things. Like Elisha, you probably have gifts that are greater than just plowing. Probably greater than just changing a diaper in a kid's ministry um, and serving coffee or sandwiches on a Wednesday night, um, sitting in a circle with middle schoolers or high schoolers leading a small group. Your gifts are probably more than that, just like Elisha. He had greater gifts than just plowing and he had greater gifts than just being a servant. But this is important because I think the plowing prepares you for what God is preparing for you. Does that make sense? So the plowing is what prepares you yourself for what God is preparing for you to do down the road. Because it's about the season. It's about the experience. It's about the journey, right? But I think it's also hard for us a lot of times. A lot of times people, people don't like to plow, right? And I think a lot of the reason for that is, is because sometimes you feel like, hey, if, if Elisha says yes to being a servant, then maybe he'll miss out on being a prophet. Do you think he ever wondered that when, when this came about? Maybe, I don't know. But what I see, what I've found is that if you plow, the opportunity will find you, okay? Uh, if God has assigned you, he's gonna find you. If he's given you something in life that he said, hey, this is your job, this is your task, this is my plan for your life, you don't have to worry that, that, that you're gonna miss out because he's bigger than that. He's, if he's assigned you to do something, if he's given you something, whether it be ministry, whether it be whatever you wanna do for a job, if God has given you that, if he's assigned you to go into the business world or to become an accountant, or whatever it is, a school teacher, whatever it is, if he's assigned you to do that, he's going to find you, okay? So you don't have to worry that if you're 
plowing, if you're, if you're doing these other things, if you're working with what God has put in front of you, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. But the interesting thing is when it does come along for Elisha, he immediately obeys and he goes all in, right? He, he burns the plow. He burns, uh, he barbecues the cows, right? Um, and I think that reminds me a lot of uh, Jesus. When Jesus calls the disciples and it says that they immediately dropped their nets and followed him. Um, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a big, big point. Not for us to leave option B, C, D, and stuff down, but when, when there is something that we feel like God's calling us to, for us to be obedient to that. Um, this is a quote that, that popped up recently uh, in the past couple of years for me, but I wish I knew it when I was y'all's age. It's this from Charles Stanley. It says, obey God and leave the consequences to him. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. And the consequences, that could be a good thing, that could be a bad thing. But God's gonna take care of it. Your job, our job, is just to obey him. And it's not easy. It sounds easy, especially when I say it like that, right? But it's not. But that's our job. And we don't have to worry about the rest. We can trust him to do it. So we get to work with God. I'm saying a lot about like, okay, we're going to work, get to work, roll up your sleeves and work. But the cool thing is that like it's not on our own. We get to co-work. We are co-workers with God. And uh, this passage right here in Matthew 9 shows us that. You've heard Jesus say this before. Maybe the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Which can be super confusing. Um, but ultimately... This isn't just about missionaries, okay? Yeah, I mean, that's part of our job if you call yourself a believer, but um, we don't need more heroes. We don't need more influencers. We need what? Workers. There's not a shortage of Christian dating services and Christian music and Christian books, and gosh, you could watch sermons until you die. There's so much content, right? We don't need more of that. What do we need? What's lacking? It's workers. So, my proposition, my, my, what I wish I knew in college, what I wish I could leave you with is to plow right where you are now. Get to work right where you are now. And this looks different for all of us, y'all, um, because I'm sitting here and talking, and obviously I ended up in ministry. I work at a church. And, but for each of us, that's different. And I think, I think what I would leave you with, what I would encourage you with is don't wait. Don't feel like you have to wait because right now you can get to work. You can roll up your sleeves and get to work right now. So instead of asking, hey, what do I want to do with my life? Instead of asking, what does God want me to do with my life? What if we start asking these questions instead? What has God trusted me with in this season of life? And for some of y'all, that season of life might change soon. You know, you graduate college, it's kind of a big adjustment. You start a new job this summer. Summertime in and of itself is just a season change, literally. But what has God trusted me with in this season of life? And this other question is, what can I get to work? Where can I get to work right now? Where can I get to work right now? Because you've been trusted with something. You've had something that's been put in front of you for this time in your life. So man, I wish I heard this when I was in college. You don't have to wait until you graduate from college. You don't have to wait till you get this job to start doing what God has called you to do. Because God's given you something unique that I can't do, that Ryan can't do. We can't do this for you because he's trusted it to you. So what are you going to do with that? I hope, I pray 
that you will plow right where you are now.